On today's episode, we are really excited to have a guest on the show. Mallory is an infant feeding and reflux specialist, and we actually learned from her during our training when we became sleep consultants. And so I am so excited to have her join us today. She is full of so much knowledge when it comes to babies and feeding issues like reflex and ties and all those kind of things. And we created this episode with the goal to empower parents to know what signs and symptoms to look for if they suspect a feeding or reflux issue with their babies. In this episode, Mallory gives us red flags to look for, so like signs and symptoms to be looking for, as well as specific questions you can be asking your pediatrician to help you as you try to advocate for your little one to get the help that they need. So this episode is for you. We hope you enjoy it and that it empowers you to advocate for your child. Welcome to the Goodnight House Sleep Podcast, where we share tips, tricks, and strategies to help your child sleep. We're here to teach you how to help your child get the sleep they need and experience more rest, peace, and joy in parenting. I'm your host, Jesse Martin, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Mallory. Thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. We are really excited to get to talk to you today. Uh, we said we actually got to learn from you when we took our sleep consultant certification. And so you did a lesson in there and okay. we both learned so much from you. And so it's actually been a goal of mine since we took your class. I was like, I want to have her on our podcast someday awesome. and be able to pick your brain. So I am so excited. Will you just take a minute and introduce yourself and share your mission and what you do and just why you're so passionate about what it is that you do? Sure. So my name is Mallory. I am a speech pathologist um, specialized in pediatric feeding disorders. Um, and then I sort of I had my own babies and sort of found the um, gap in feeding infants. Um there's a lot that is not being educated on. There's a lot that's not being supported. And so I sort of took my career and maybe shifted it a tad um, and created the Feeding Mom, where I now support parents virtually and in person, if, if you're in Louisiana, um, in their infant feeding journeys. That's awesome. Yeah, there is a huge need for that. And as you know, what we do is sleep, sleeping and feeding, especially in those first several months, go pretty much hand in hand. And so we, you know, we are talking with moms all the time and we hear about feeding issues all the time and it is so hard and it is a need that um, really does need to be met. And I am so glad that there's experts like you that focus solely on that and are able to help and serve parents. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing the lack of education and I'm a speech pathologist, right? And I specialized in that, in feeding, in pediatric feeding. And I even, there was information that I would have loved to have in my first and second, because all babies are different and they come with different problems. And so, um, that's really, that's my mission is to give all parents the education and support that, that I did not get. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Well, thank you so much again for being here, and I'm just really excited. I am hoping to use this episode as somewhere to send to parents that will kind of empower them to be able to advocate for their kids because a lot of times as moms and new moms like I'm a pediatric nurse and when I had my baby and started breastfeeding and doing all the feeding stuff I was like wow I I had no idea (laughs) there was all of this um and so as a new mom especially it is so hard to know what's normal what's not normal Mm -hmm, what questions mm -hmm. do I ask all of those things so I'm excited to have somewhere to send parents to where they can learn a little bit more about this so Will you just start by explaining what oral dysfunction means and give some examples? So an oral dysfunction is simply the oral mechanism not functioning correctly, right? So there can be a whole range of what is considered an oral dysfunction. And one person can anatomy-wise look exactly like another person, um, but their dysfunction is different. Um, It's it's all how the muscles move. It's how the body can compensate and adjust. Um, and so it's not always about how things look. It's about what's happening. And I think that's the biggest piece that gets missed in infant feeding is, um, well, they look okay. Well, something's not okay because if feeding is a problem, then something's not working the way it needs to. Um, the biggest example of oral dysfunction that everyone is going to know about is tongue ties, right? So, um, there's actually multiple ties in the mouth. You have your tongue, your lip and your cheek ties. Um, everyone has the frenulum in there. It's how functional are they? Um, so some people's ties can look literally look exactly the same, but affect them differently based on other pieces of the body um, and how they're all functioning together. Some other pieces of oral dysfunction are going to be babies who are low tone. So your floppy babies. And it's important for parents to know that tone is a huge range from what is normal and abnormal. Um, And you can be low normal tone and you can be high normal tone. Um, But our low tone babies, um, they're just your squishy ones, right? they can have some oral dysfunction where their coordination is just not where we want it to be, where um, their latch is not as strong as we want it to be. So those are some examples of what an oral dysfunction may look like. Okay, that totally makes sense. And then will you just kind of share what some of the signs or symptoms are or red flags that parents can look for that maybe indicate that their baby is suffering from some type of an oral dysfunction? Yeah, I mean, the the biggest one that a parent can see is an open mouth posture. If your baby has an open mouth posture during the day or when they're sleeping and you close their mouth and they, they're struggling to keep it closed, then the tongue is not functioning the way we need it to be functioning. The tongue should be up on the top of the mouth, the palate space. It's literally what forms the palate. And so if the tongue is hanging down, that jaw is going to drop down, the palate will um, change shape, which changes the nasal cavity. So, I mean, it just leads into this whole other realm of what could happen, right? And that is your first indicator of maybe I should get somebody to look at their mouth. Okay, that makes sense. And then is like, you know, like trouble with nursing or pain with nursing or not taking a bottle, like are those kind of signs and symptoms too? Or is that, is that not? 
I mean, yeah. So there's a learning curve with everything. Right. And so I always encourage parents to not feel so defeated the first couple of days. However, it shouldn't be painful to feed your baby. And so while there's a learning curve, we don't want to sit in that for a long time. And I think a lot of parents get dismissed by multiple professionals because on especially new moms, oh, well, you'll get used to it or you'll get the hang of it or they're just learning. And then when parents hear that phrase, you know, day one and day two, it, it sort of sits in their mind for a very, very long time. And then you have a three-month-old where mom is still in pain and, and or bottle feeding is awful and the whole um, dynamic is um, frustration when they go to feed, you know? And so I think while there is a learning curve for both parent and baby, um, we shouldn't be sitting in that. And so if you are having trouble, it the other piece of that is if you're having trouble and someone just dismisses you and doesn't watch baby eat, then they're not the professional for you. So yeah, if you're having some sort of problem with feeding, um, if it's bottle feeding, maybe baby spills a lot of the milk out of their mouth. Um, maybe they're coughing and they just can't find their rhythm. Um, breastfeeding, you know, it's painful is going to be in the beginning. Um, And so if you're being dismissed as, oh, that's normal, don't sit in that for a long time, like take a couple of days, right? But it should be getting better and better as you and baby find your rhythm. And if that's not happening, then we need to look inside the mouth. Okay. Yeah. That's really, really good advice, especially like you said, for new moms to kind of know that it's okay. There is that learning curve in the beginning, but not to let it be their normal for you know days and days and weeks and yeah that totally makes sense will you talk a little bit about reflux and maybe kind of what the difference is between what true reflux is and the normal spitting up that we see in babies so there is no difference so spitting up is reflux. And I love this question because I think a a lot of moms struggle with this too. They, you know, they get dismissed with, oh, it's, that's normal. All babies spit up. Um, Reflux is just regurgitation of stomach contents. And that is what spitting up is. It's all the same thing. So typically you'll get diagnosed with reflux if there's an accompanying pain with it. So if baby is in pain, then the doctor will diagnose reflux. If baby is gaining weight and not in pain, they will absolutely dismiss it and say it is typical for babies to spit up. Um, But all of it is regurgitation of stomach contents. That's what it all is. Um, If you are having a little bit of spit up, right, then I would look at volume. That's the first thing I always look at if If everything else is going smoothly, but maybe baby just spits up after every feed, I would look at volume. Um, And typically, a lot of times this is with bottle feeding parents because um, they're pushed ounces so much. Like baby has to take this amount of ounces, this amount of hours, and then it increases when they're this age. And that's just not how feeding works. Um, Breastfeeding babies have a tendency to be able to control Um, their volume more than bottle feeding babies. And so um, a lot of times it's 
parents, look, they don't have to drink the entire bottle. If they're stopping, let them stop. Um, and you, and surprisingly, they find a huge difference in your typical baby spit up um, when they just drop the ounces by even a fourth of an ounce can make a huge difference. Um, then you get into your reflux where a baby is frustrated, screaming out in pain. Um, the amount of the volume of spit up is would be considered excessive, right? And then we're looking at, okay, is baby taking in too much air? Um, how is the feeding position? Um, definitely weaning out um, allergy or intolerances, things like that. Okay. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And that kind of answered my next question because I was just oh. going to ask what, oh no, you're fine. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, I was just going to ask like what kind of red flags can parents be looking for um, to indicate that the spitting up and the reflux isn't, or, or, you know, is causing pain or isn't just, you know, something that should be dismissed by doctors as like, oh, that's just normal babies do that. So that kind of answered that question though. Yeah. So if you, if you decrease ounces and you don't see any change, um, typically those babies will, the spitting up is coming back up, right? And nothing should be coming back up into the esophagus. The esophagus is meant to push food down. Um, the body was made as with that mechanism for safety reasons. Um, so when you're sick, right, you vomit and, and that helps the body get rid of things that it doesn't want or need. And so over time, if you're spitting up every day, all day, you're, it, could lead to inflammation in the esophagus. And, and then it could gradually become a problem. So a lot of times I get these babies who were considered quote unquote happy spitters. And then, you know, three months, four months hits and they're just um, start refusing the bottle. And now we have this bigger version and it all started from the beginning. Um, it just over time, that mechanism can get a little worn. And so I don't ever recommend dismissing spit up. I always want to find out why. Um, and sometimes the oral dysfunction is, is so bad um, that we can decrease the spit up um, enough where parents are feel comfortable and they're like, no, I can tolerate this. This is so much better than what it was. Um, so if you start out decreasing ounces and you see a change, I would say that was your issue. Um, if you're seeing arching of the back, fisted hands during feeding, and they never relax, shoulders up by the ears, clicking during feeding, um, milk coming out of the mouth during feeds, uh, any of those are your big red flags. Okay. And yeah, I think that's really helpful for parents to kind of know some of those things to look for and just be aware of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And a lot of times the clicking is what gets me the most because they're literally sucking in air and you know, pediatricians or um, other professionals will say, oh no, that's them swallowing. And there's a big difference between the swallow sound and a clicking sound in the mouth where the tongue is actually releasing the latch. Um, and so that's a big, that's a big one that gets missed. Okay. Yeah. And I've also heard you say that, you know, even if a baby is gaining weight, you've had a lot of, um, 
the people that you've worked with who have just been dismissed like oh well your baby's fine because they're gaining weight but that's not necessarily a good indicator of whether or not they have some type of an oral dysfunction going on yeah oh my gosh it's like my I just can't stand it and just makes my blood boil when I hear that um it most of the time baby is gaining weight because um, they parents were instructed to increase the flow rate or thicken the milk. And so now baby has excess calories um, and they're not respecting their satiation cues. So we're really impacting the brain gut connection when we overfeed our babies that way. And if baby's gaining weight on a, on their own curve and they're not necessarily overfeeding, um, we're still messing with the relationship, right? And then we always want to go back to, well, what is it doing to the esophagus internally? Um, and so, and a lot of times babies will be losing weight, then parents will be told, oh, let's put some oatmeal in it. So now we thicken with oatmeal, baby starts gaining weight, but we never address the problem. And so weight has nothing to do with it. Um, it's great that baby gains weight, but what are what are they doing with their function and what are they doing to their feeding relationship? Because that's going to become really important when we start solids too. Mm, yeah, that makes sense that you need to get to the root of the cause and not just put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, for sure. This episode of the Goodnight House Sleep Podcast is sponsored by our online newborn sleep class, which is an online class we created for parents of newborns, zero to 12 weeks old, to help your newborn sleep better from day one. This course is everything you need to encourage healthy sleep habits, parent with confidence, and love the newborn stage. We also offer add-on personalized support packages where you can work one-on-one with us at any point during the newborn stage. You can even text us right from the hospital. Head to thegoodnighthouse.com forward slash newborn sleep class to learn more. Use code podcast at checkout to take 10% off any of our classes or services. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to see if you would talk to us about is feeding on demand. So we hear, you know, when you have a baby and you're in the hospital, every person that you talk to tells you, oh, yeah, just feed on demand. But we've noticed as sleep consultants that no one really explains what that means. And so we try we have a newborn a newborn sleep class where we try really hard to make sure that we emphasize and just kind of give a little explanation of what feeding on demand is. And that's just, you know, watching your baby for their hunger cues and their hunger signs and learning that and responding to them and feeding them when they're truly hungry. And so a lot of times we hear moms say that, you know, they thought that when the nurse told them that, that it just meant, you know, if your baby cries, feed them. But our babies cry for a lot of different reasons. And so we we just kind of talk through that a little bit in our sleep class, just kind of basic explanation of that. Um, But will you explain a little bit what some of the signs or red flags to look for when parents are feeding on demand that might actually indicate a deeper issue or some type of an oral dysfunction? Because I've heard you talk about it and it's super interesting. Yeah. So I I get a lot of um, heat for this topic, especially from um, the breastfeeding community. And while it's great that you want to nurse for comfort and, and feeding and all the bobos. And that is wonderful. Um, but bottle feeding parents specifically should not be doing that. Um, period. 
uh, that is where lots of problems come in with that brain gut connection and overfeeding. Um, and so it's really important to listen to those cues um, and watch for them and learn them and respect them. Um, but feeding on demand, you can still do that with bottle feeding as well. And even with your breastfeeding babies, um, it's important to to understand the cues and know when you're feeding for comfort and when you're feeding for hunger. Because if we're feeding every hour, 24-7, we have a problem. Um, that's not feeding on demand, meeting the baby's needs. That is a, that's a dysfunction that needs to be looked at. And so a lot of times parents are like, well, how do I know? Um, and the one key thing to look at is that baby can go different time periods. Um, maybe they do a big cluster where every hour for um, a four-hour period, for one period of the day, they do that, right? But the rest of the time, they can give you two hours, once one stretch, and three hours, one, and, and then back to two. There should be variation. If your baby is screaming as a hunger cue every hour, then we're not efficient, and that needs to be addressed. Okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. I actually recently had a mom of a newborn that I was working with, and she was doing... I mean, she was doing everything that I was suggesting and she was being flexible with it and just had a really level head about it. Um, you know, she wasn't trying to stick super strict to a clock or anything like that. She was, she was doing awesome. And her baby was just so frustrated with feeding. She would message me and say, I'm trying to feed. And he just, he keeps unlatching and screaming mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. acting so mad. And, you know, I, I just keep trying, I can tell he's hungry, but he is just so upset and so mad and so this one someone who ended up there her baby had um, a really significant um, some ties and stuff yes um, but just we see that a lot especially you know if they're doing you know if they're following what we've talked about in our newborn sleep class and things are just really not going well yeah. then it that's a really good sign that something else is going on you can yeah. you can follow all the tips in the world and if there's something going on in the mouth you you have to get that figured out first. Yes. Yes, for sure. It's not going to matter. And those parents I feel get dismissed the most. Your breastfeeding mm -hmm. parents with the feeding on demand topic I feel get dismissed the most. And you know, they are the ones that I see at 5 6 months because it's just nothing ever got better. And a five month old is still feeding every hour, 24 seven, right? I mean, that's no, <laughs> I can't yeah. say it any, uh, any differently. Yeah. And I hate that for parents <laughs> that, yeah. you know, that it's just so hard sometimes to find and get the help that you need when, yeah, you know, sure. in your mom heart and your mom instincts, you know, that something is wrong and it's mm -hmm. so hard to you know, be taken seriously when you take yes. your baby. And that's, that's really tough. Um, so that actually kind of leads into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I know how it feels to go into the pediatrician and know, like I said, like know inside that something is wrong or something yeah. is just not right, but not really have the words or know enough about the topic to ask the right questions to have them help me or ask, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. 
there might be a referral that I need. And, you know, I might just not know what that is. And I know that if I'm feeling like that as a pediatric nurse, I know that other moms are feeling that. So what can parents do if they see any of these red flags that you've talked about? And so like what specific questions can they be asking their pediatricians or what kind of referrals do they need or assessment should they be requesting? And then also if you want to just kind of share how you serve parents and when they can come to you for these kind of questions, because I know that you work with families virtually. And so when can they come see you for that kind of thing? Yeah, I'm, I always push for as soon as mom feels something is not right. A lot of times parents will come to me and, you know, they take a course or they do a one-on-one with me and I just give them enough information to make some changes and and also empower them to know what they're talking about when they go into the pediatrician's office, right? Um, because a lot of times if we just have the right vocabulary or we... Um, if we tell our doctors, this is what I want, um, Mm. most, some of the time they will do that. Um, My pediatrician is really good about that. If I have researched something and I say, this is what I need from you, um, she will write me whatever referral I need. Um, And you know, like if a mom walks in and says, look, they're mouth breathing, I want to get an ENT assessment. It just and I hear some parents say that my pediatrician refused to refer me. And I just, that blows my mind. I just think it's so silly why a pediatrician wouldn't refer. It's nothing on them. They, it's no extra work. And so I always just tell the parent, we'll find a new pediatrician because um, it that's not being supportive and that's not helping you. Um, mm-hmm. And there and are so, amazing pediatricians out there yes. who will listen yes. and will take a mom seriously and do everything they can. But yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and so taking taking one of my e-courses or doing a one-on-one, as soon as you feel like something's not right, because the sooner you make change, the better. And a lot of times we can make those changes. Um, if there's oral restrictions involved, we can make enough changes to have some relief in the feeding journey while we're trying to, mom or parents are trying to figure out who what provider to go to in their area. So if you're looking in your area, um, mine specifically, I always recommend to a pediatric dentist. You don't need a pediatrician referral. You can just go to the dentist. Um, And so that's always a really good option because you can skip the referral piece. Um, But some areas, an ENT may be a better choice. And so go into your mom groups on Facebook, ask around because somebody has experienced a oral restriction and they know who to go to and who not to in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a release provider is going to be a pediatric dentist or an ENT. Um, I always recommend one if, you know, if you ask, what do you feel about this, his posterior tongue? If the doctor says, um, doesn't even look in the mouth or dismisses you, um, then they're not the provider for you, right? So always feel free to go get second opinions too. I don't think that that's used enough as well. Um, There's not only one provider in the area and um, maybe they're just not the provider for you. Um, And that's okay. How would a parent know to ask that question about a posterior tongue? Is that like, oh, I just, I, yeah, I always tell them to ask that because that Mm -hmm. lets me know if the provider is really savvy in 
oral restrictions. The posterior okay. tongue ties gets missed the most. An anterior tie, anyone can visually see that, right? They're like, oh, right in, in your face. You know when it's an anterior tie. It's got the heart shape. It's really pulling on that tongue. Um, the posterior ties are trickier. It's really about function. Um, and if you're release provider at your consult appointment says, oh, well, they can stick their tongue out and I don't, it doesn't look like they have a tie, then I would say, okay, great, because I wouldn't want them touching my baby anyway. So I would be reaching out for another release provider. Um, and so I, I always encourage parents to take a step back and listen to what the provider is saying do they put their hands in their mouth and are they listening to how the baby functions at home during feeding? Did they even watch a feed? Because how do you know? How do you know mm -hmm. how it's functioning if you didn't watch? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. can't know that. So, um, it, I, you know, parents just, I, I, sometimes I think they're, they feel pressured to listen to the doctor, right? Well, the doctor must know what they're talking about. And that's absolutely not true. Not all doctors know everything about everything. That's why they're specialists. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you don't feel comfortable with their responses and how they assess the baby, then don't have them as your provider. Go to somebody else. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really good kind of rule of thumb to go by. Like if a, if a provider is not putting their hands on your child and assessing and yes. regardless of what the issue is, then that's a pretty good sign of, mm, I should probably go somewhere else yeah. where they will do that. Yeah. So that's a really good, <laughs> that's a really good point. So to kind of recap, people can, parents can come to you at the very beginning when they notice something's wrong and yeah, either take sure. one of your e-courses or have an assessment with you. And then the places that they can go like locally would be, to their pediatrician to ask for a referral to an ENT, or they mm -hmm. can just go straight to a pediatric dentist. Is that, yes. did I understand that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Perfect. Everything that you just um, talked about was so practical for parents. I was wondering if you had one last piece of advice, what would you share with them? Um, I guess I kind of, I guess I kind of already kind of said it, Um I think the one thing that parents struggle with the most, especially our new parents, is um, feeling like they already asked the questions and they got this one answer, so it must be right. And so I'm always going to encourage that if the answer didn't feel sufficient and right for you, then ask someone else until you get an answer that serves you and your feeding relationship. Um, don't, don't be so easily dismissed. And I know how easy it can, can be, and you're overwhelmed and you feel like you're lost. Um, but you shouldn't know everything about everything. There's no way anybody can. And, um, it's not your fault that this society doesn't support postpartum moms the way it should. Right. And ask the questions. There's people out there who can help and support your needs, ask and keep asking. Absolutely. That's such yeah. good advice. Even when I worked in the emergency room, you know, if we were about ready to uh, discharge a family and a mm -hmm. mom, you know, I would hear a mom say, I just, <laughs> this doesn't, something seems wrong. I would yeah. tell her like, 
do not leave this hospital until you talk to another doctor. Right, like, right, <laughs> you, right. If you feel in your heart as mom, you know your kid best, you know your baby best. Yeah. If you feel like your questions mm-hmm. did not get answered, do not walk out of this hospital yet. Wait yes. and feel comfortable before you leave. So I love that advice so much. That was really good. Will you share where people can find you, either you know your Instagram or your website or anything else that you want to share? I am most available or I post the most on my Instagram. Um, it's pretty intensive, lots and lots of information um, that you can get off of there. And it's um, infant.feeding.specialist. Um, I do have a website, thefeedingmom.com. Um, and I do want to say that there is an oral play guide and we didn't talk about oral play a lot, but um, oral movement and oral dysfunction is um, closely related to reflux. Um, and you can so, get into that if there's anything you want to share about that at all. <laughs> I mean, that could be a whole, that could be a whole <laughs> You're like, I've got, I've got a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just, you know, getting in baby's mouth is just so important from day one. I don't care if baby's typical developing or not, experiencing um, movement and different texture and um, it can it can really change how a baby learns to move their um, oral muscles. Um, it can change how a baby feeds. And a lot of times... Uh, Babies are born with so much tension in their bodies. I mean, we talk about, you know, how we feel after labor and delivery, but babies are going through that trauma too. And, um, and a lot of times just looking at the body and releasing some of that tension and, you know, the tongue is connected all the way to the toes, literally with fascia from the tongue to the toes. And so if you're in the mouth and moving those muscles and relaxing them um, from the beginning, you could change your feeding dynamic. Um, and so that I do have an oral play guide that I recommend for all babies, not just tongue tied babies. Um, because it's just so important. It's something that I really stand behind. Okay, that's awesome. And that's a digital download on your website, correct? Yeah, it's actually an app. So you go to um, an app and you can pull it up on your phone. It's got the exercises with videos and with words um, on a PDF that you can print out if you prefer that. Um, It's it's pretty comprehensive. That's awesome. I didn't realize it was an entire app too. That's really cool. Yes. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you so much for, oh, I also just wanted to say that your Instagram, you mentioned that, but you have so much great information on there about, I know I've gone there for my own kids about like pacifiers and tons of stuff. So definitely if any parents listening, go to her Instagram because there's so much great information. Um, But thank you again, just so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us and to talk to these parents that we care so much about. And I'm so excited. Um, We're so excited to have this episode to refer parents to and hopefully they will come over and say hi to you and utilize you and be able to advocate for their babies and get the help that they need. And I I think it's just so good to have a resource to be able to send parents because it is so hard to get these questions answered. And so we are super thankful for you and for everything that you do and the way that you serve families. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I love talking about this. So (laughs) ask anything.
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Goodnight House Sleep Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to record a question for us to answer on the podcast, head to thegoodnighthouse.com forward slash podcast. If you want more sleep resources, head to thegoodnighthouse.com for show notes, free resources, and our courses or one-on-one personalized sleep services. If you enjoyed today's episode and you think others might too, would you consider taking a screenshot and sharing it to social media? If you really love the podcast, would you take a minute to leave a review? You can do this right on the Apple Podcast app or on your computer in iTunes. If you don't know how, head to the show notes for a link that will show you what to do. Reviews allow podcasts to be found by others and is the number one way you can support the Goodnight House Sleep Podcast. 